2 Corinthians 5.17. Hopefully today we will conclude our series on spirit, soul, and body. Amen. Have you gotten anything out of it? Has anybody actually went home and studied what we've been teaching? That's the question. Amen. Because I can sit up here and teach all day long, but if you don't go home and study what I've been preaching, you just heard a cheap sermon that Sunday. And it will have no effect in your life. Say it again. And it will have no effect in your life. Because the word of God has to be meditated upon get in your spirit for it to become a reality. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. A lot of times we come to church, we hear a message, and we never look at it again. And then we wonder why things happen. And the Holy Spirit will tell you, he said, listen, he taught you that years ago. But you didn't get it in you. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Some of you are so full of words. But you get head knowledge. better go on and get on my sermon. 2 Corinthians 5.17. <laughs> Hallelujah. God's trying to make a difference in your life. Glory to God. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Once again, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Amen. Once again, we know, you know, we ask the question, what does this mean? Because we look at ourselves and we notice that things are not, things in our life, you know, haven't changed and things in our life have not become new. And once again, it says, and we got to get this, if any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? Amen. That means you are a what? New creature. And that means old things are passed away. Come on, it didn't say they're going to be passed away. They're not in the process of being passed away. And as far as the word of God says, it's a done deal. All things are what? Passed away, and behold, all things are what? Are become new. Amen? And we, what we found out is this is not talking about your physical body, and it's not talking about your soul. There's a third part of us called the spirit, and it's in the spirit that you become a what? Brand new person. Not in your body and not in your soul. So we start talking about the combination of grace and faith. You know, grace is God's part, but faith is what? Faith is our part. Amen. Matter of fact, grace is the inevitable conclusion and destination of what I've been talking about of who you are in Christ. That's where it leads to. Say your neighbor, that's what it leads to. And see, God, once again, God is not dealing with you based on your physical person or your actions. Say it again. God's not dealing with, you, dealing with you based on your physical person or your actions. He's dealing with you based on who you are in Christ. Last week we looked at Isaiah 59.1. And we looked at it. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Amen. But your iniquities have separated you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not what? Hear. Verse 3, for your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has what? Murdered perverseness. What is the point here once again? The point is the reason God isn't moving, and that's what people say, the reason God isn't moving or doing things is because your sins have separated you and your God. And this is what most of the preachers have been preaching. What have we been doing? We've been making people sin conscious. Amen. And what has been happening is people have people are people, happen is people believe God is moving in their lives proportional to their performance. Let me say it again. What's happened is people believe God is moving in their lives proportional to their what performance. So if you sin, that people believe, if you sin, you don't get the blessing. So they believe God won't answer the prayer of a sinner. God won't answer your prayer if you got things wrong. How many people have ever got things wrong in here? 
Amen. Amen. And this is verified in scriptures like this throughout the Bible. And we said here's a simple answer to all this, and this is what people, this answer that people get, give people, that people, and, and what they give people is they believe that is God, God is dealing with you according to your performance. God's dealing with you according to your sins, and they're saying that your sins are separating you from God. And this is what people don't realize. This is predominantly old covenant what we just read somebody say old covenant and what they're missing is there's a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant there's a difference between the way God dealt with people in the old testament than it is the way God's dealing with people in the new testament somebody say old testament new testament and we looked at Leviticus chapter 20 we're not going to turn there but we found out in Leviticus chapter 18 and 20 Amen. It's putting down moral laws about how you're to conduct yourself. Amen. What is your proper conduct? And it lists a lot of things we see in today's society. But, the, at, but at the end of those things, it says, they that do such things should be put to death. <laughs> they that do such things should be what? Put to death. And it talks about adultery, it talks about incest, and even, you know, it even lists homosexuality as one of them. Come on, say amen, somebody. And the problem is people will read this and say, the Bible says homosexuals should be put to death. <laughs> but that's not the way we're supposed to treat them. Uh, hallelujah. So how do we deal with this? It's under the what? Old covenant. Somebody say old covenant. And in the Old Covenant, God held their sins against them. Say it again. Under the Old Covenant, God held their sins against them, so he dealt with them differently. He imputed people's sins to them, but under the New Covenant, he doesn't impute our sins. Look at Romans 4, 6 again. Under the Old Covenant, God held people's sins against them. He imputed people's sins to them. That's why it was death. <laughs> Come on, say amen, somebody. Y'all better thank God y'all went into the Old Testament. A lot of us in this room be crispy critters right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Romans 4, 6. It says, even as David also described with what? He described the blessedness of a man unto whom God did what? He imputed what? Righteousness without what? Works. Saying, blessed are they whose what? Whose iniquities are forgiven. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, I'm blessed. Blessed are they whose sins are covered. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. And blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not what? Will not what? Impute sin. In other words, our sins are not held against us in the New Testament. Now, all of the things we read in Leviticus are still wrong today. And we're still supposed to live a godly life, but our punishment was already placed on Jesus. And this is a great difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Our sins were judged under the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, our sins have been judged, but not in you. It was placed upon who? Jesus. So you don't have to go and say the Old Covenant was wrong, or the word wasn't right, or we don't have to observe the Old Covenant. Now, you don't have to observe it in the sense that we have to bear the punishment. And we don't have to offer an animal sacrifice anymore because why? Jesus' sacrifices ended all sacrifices. But everything that was in the Old Testament was there for a reason. And we found out in the Old Covenant there was no, there was no cure for sin. There was no cure for sin in the Old Covenant. Specifically, there was no way to get, get delivered from demons. Come on, are you with me out here? But now, in the New Covenant, now we have a revelation of spiritual things. That didn't come to the New Testament, folks. 
Now we have a revelation of what? Spiritual things, and we can rebuke the devil. And it's a different day. We know the spirit behind all of that stuff we mentioned early in Leviticus 20. In this day, the things that are listed in Leviticus are demonic. Come on, sexual perversion is demonic. Homosexuality is still demonic. It is not normal. It is a perversion, and nobody in their right mind would do that because why? It's under the influence of the devil. It's demonic, and you couldn't be delivered from it in the old covenant. Did you hear me? You couldn't be delivered from it in the old covenant, so God dealt harshly with it. That's why he said death. Why? Because it was like a cancer, folks. And if he hadn't dealt with it, it would have spread, and there wouldn't have been a virgin left for Jesus to have come through to save you. Because it was spreading that fast. Come on, say amen, somebody. That's how bad it was getting, Jane but that's how bad it was getting. So it was like cutting out a cancer. But in the new covenant, somebody say new covenant. But in the new covenant, guess what? We got a cure for it. What's his name? Jesus. It's forgiveness of sin, folks. Jesus has paid for the sins of the homosexual and the rapist and the murderer. And all of those things are listed in Leviticus chapter 20. The sins have been paid for. Tell your neighbor, the sins have been paid for. Matter of fact, look at Acts 13, 38. Acts 13, 38. It says, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, who's that man he's talking about? Through this man is preached unto you what? Forgiveness of what? Is what? Preached unto you what? The forgiveness, in other words, there's a cure. There's a what? Cure. And it says, by, by him all that believe are what? Justified from how many things? How many things? All things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's clear. You couldn't be justified in the Old Testament. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, under the law of Moses, there were things that you couldn't be delivered from. You couldn't be freed from. And we've seen that listing. But under the new covenant, you can be freed from all of that stuff. So today, if your children curse you, you don't have to kill them, even though you want to sometimes. Because in Leviticus, it said, kill your children that curse you. Oh, come on, I'm preaching good in here. Today, we don't, we don't kill homosexuals. We don't kill adulterers. But, that, that, but does that mean that his standard has changed? Tell your neighbor, no. Is it still wrong? It's still wrong. It's wrong, but it's just that now we offer them a cure. Come on, are you with me out here? So you don't have to sit there and say, well, the Old Testament scriptures are not accurate, so we don't have to go by them anymore. They still have a great influence in our lives today, folks. They still show us what is right and wrong. But the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that, is that, that Jesus has already paid for our sins. You don't pay for your sins. Tell your neighbor, you don't pay for your sins. Jesus paid for your sins. Now, you do pay for sins in a sense, but not from God. Somebody say, not from God. Once again, here's a way to describe it. There's a twofold effect of sin. Sin was not only a transgression against God that deserved wrath and punishment. Amen. And that's what we call a vertical relationship. But there was also a horizontal effect to sin. And we see that in Romans 6.16. Romans 6.16, where it says, Know ye not, are you there yet? Know ye not that to whom you yield, listen to this now, know ye not to whom who yields? Who yields? Know ye not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, another translation said, who yield to be slaves to. 
His servants you are to whom you what? Obey. Whether of what? Whether of what? Sin unto death or what? Obedience unto what? Righteousness. But whose choice is it? But whoever you yield to, you become a slave to that. So even if God doesn't release his wrath on sin, because now we're in a new covenant, and it's already been paid for, and he's not going to punish you for your sins, sin still has consequences because why? It's a direct inroad of Satan into your life because you yielded to him, and now he becomes your master. And when he becomes your master, what he's coming to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. He ain't coming to pat you on the back. So if you go out and live in homosexuality, if you go out and you commit sinful acts with your mother or your mother-in-law, all the other things that are listed, I guarantee you, you're going to give Satan what? Free access into your life. Come on, you with me out here? But most churches still preach. Listen to this, but most churches still preach that God is going to judge your sin. He won't fellowship with you. He won't answer your prayers and all these kind of things. No, Jesus has what? He's forgiven us all of our sins. He's forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and what? Future. God is not going to reject you or punish you. Let me say it again. God is not going to reject you. Or, that's good news because how many people have left churches, left God because what? They thought God was mad at them for what they have done. Like nobody in this church has ever sinned. I talked about on Wednesday, church folk lie. Church folk are not honest sometimes. They had what you call a little white lie. Amen, glory to God. But God is not going to reject you or punish you. Now, what he will do, he will point sin out. He'll tell you when you're wrong because why? Because he loves you. And he knows if you keep going in that direction, he knows what sin will do to you. He's not trying to take away your fun. He's trying to save your little stupid life. Why? Because he loves you. So what he'll do, what he'll do is what he'll do. He'll, he'll help you, what? To overcome sin. But he's not going to reject you. He doesn't want Satan to gain access into your life. But sometimes we sit there and fight him. I want to do my own thing anyway. That's why he said, okay, go. You go do your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you. Come on. <laughs> Y'all know that song. Come on. <laughs> he tries to help you. He tries to help you. Come on. You always get a sense of before you do something stupid. Most time you override that sensing. And you end up going on to do something stupid, and then you end up suffering the consequences. Then you want to get mad at God. When he tried his best to show you, don't go there. Oh, why? Because he loves you. Somebody say, thank you for loving me. Hallelujah. And we talked about the law. And we said, because that's where most of the stuff is coming from. We said if you stay under the law, you either have to be perfect to receive from God. That's what the law said. And you still got religions trying to keep, get you back under the law. Hello. But you got to be perfect to stay up under the law, folks. Because if you, if you miss one point, you miss the ball. That's what the Bible says. 
Come on. You either got to be perfect under the law or you have to put your faith in Jesus who was perfect and get everything through him. Get it through his perfection. But you can't mix the two. Romans eleven six. 6, what does it say? And if by grace, then it is no more of what? Romans eleven six. 6. They kind of slow up there. Y'all going to have to get y'all's Bibles out. Now. And if by grace, then it is of what? No more of works. Otherwise, grace is what? No more grace. But if it be of works, then there's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What's it saying? It says it's got to be one of the two. It's not a combination of the two, folks. Amen? It can't be you doing the best you can. You can. You can. And Jesus is making up the difference. You either got to trust in Jesus and his righteousness, which excludes you. Or you got to trust in yourself and your righteousness, which excludes Jesus. And people will say, well, look at Psalms 24.3. People will say, oh, what does the scripture say in Psalms 24.3 where it says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in the holy place? Then it says, he that has clean hands and of a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Oh, Lord, you know you don't sworn deceitfully probably even this morning. But this was an Old Testament scripture. It was when God was imputing sin unto you. Come on, say amen, somebody. Let me say, what about Deuteronomy 28, where it says, if you do all these things, all these blessings will come upon you, and if you don't do all those things, all these curses will come upon you. Well, what does Galatians 3.13 tell us? Christ has what? He redeemed us what? From the curse of the law. He didn't say I was redeemed from the blessing. But he did say I was redeemed from the curse of the law, being made a what? Curse for who? For me, for it's written, curses everyone that what? Hang up on a tree. That the what? That the blessing that's still in Deuteronomy 28 can do what? Come on me through who? Through Jesus Christ that we might what? Receive the promises of the Spirit through what? Faith. Jesus turned every curse into a blessing. So that, I can, so that I can now read those verses in 15 through 68 and instead of me getting the blasting and the sickness, and the mildew, and the emeralds, and all the things, now I am redeemed from all of that through Jesus. Somebody say, I'm redeemed. And see, when it comes to law, people think God gave the law to help you. And it does help in a sense. What's it do? Well, it shows you how rotten you are. The law shows you how sorry you are which is necessary because you got to come to the end of yourself to admit that you need a Savior. So it has a purpose. But the purpose of the law was not to set you free. The purpose of the law was to what? Bind you. So don't you let anybody get you up under the law. Amen? Amen? And we're not going to go to the scripture. You can write them down. We went over last week. But 1 Corinthians 15, 6, 56 says, the law didn't, didn't come to strengthen you. It came to strengthen sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says the law was the minister of death. It was a minister of condemnation. In Romans 7, 8, it states the law, was, the law made sin come alive. And see, the purpose of the law was to knock you down, to show you how guilt-ridden you are, and to make you condemn, and there was a purpose for that. Tell your neighbor there's a purpose for that. And there's a place for that, but turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. There was a what? There was a place for that. Tell your neighbor there's a place for that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But we know that the law is what? Good. If a man use it what? Lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. 
Are you righteous? Are you righteous? Was the law made for you? So the law was not made for righteous men, but for the what? For the what? Lawless and what? Disobedient and for the what? Ungodly and for the what? Sinners. For who? For unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. So I'm on homosexuality again. For men stealers, for liars, for perjured person, and if there be any other thing <laughs> that he didn't mention here, it's for that too. <laughs> See, the law is not made for a righteous man. And we are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. The law was made to lead a person or to actually shut them up and to drive them to a need for a savior. And it has a purpose. Say, neighbor, it has a purpose. But should we be preaching along with all the rules and regulation and works to get God to do something for us? No. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5.17 once again. So the law has its purpose, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us given us the what? Ministry of what? Reconciliation. To wit that God was where? In Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not what? not imputing their what trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. So we should be preaching the word of what? Reconciliation. What is that? That God is not mad at you. What is that? That God wants to be friends with you. What is that? That your sins are paid for. That's what we're supposed to be preaching, folks. And understand this. Love will draw more people to God than fear. What does it say in Romans 2.4? Turn there. But keep a marker there because we're coming back. Romans 2.4. Or despises thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and looks something not knowing that the what? Did it say the wrath of God? The beat down of God. God smacking you upside your head. God sending you to hell. What draws people to repentance? Which is the love of God. Love will draw more people to God then you're trying to scare them into getting saved. Oh, come on. Say amen, somebody. Going back to 2 Corinthians 5.20. Are you there with me? Still with me? Still with me, right? It says in verse 20, Now then we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. As though God did what? Beseech you by us. We pray you in what? Christ said be what? Reconciled to God. It says we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. We are what? Ambassadors for Christ. Verse 18 and 19 says God is reconciled to us. God is friendly to us. Now he's saying, now I'm begging you, you be friendly towards God. Somebody, you be friendly to Say you be friendly towards God. He's saying recognize that the war is over and quit condemning yourself. Say, neighbor, quit condemning yourself. And see, most people think the devil is condemning them. 
But reality is, with most people, the devil is on vacation. Why? Because you're doing such a great job yourself. That the devil doesn't have to do anything. You are your own worst enemy. And sometimes the devil takes notes from you. He said, oh, I can use that again. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. He learned it from us how to condemn us. Oh, let me use that on her over there. Could you give me some more? Give me some more. He's learned from us, folks. God has already reconciled himself to us. So we need to reconcile ourselves to God. Are y'all listening to me out there? We need to reconcile ourselves to God. God is my friend. I am a friend of God as well as a child of God, and I know God loves me. In spite of my performance. Look at verse 21. For he, God the Father, has made him who? Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in him. Now, as a whole, the body of Christ were said that Jesus died for the sins and he paid for it. But they believe the benefits of that don't start until we get to heaven. So we sang songs like, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus. <laughs> So we think, oh, it don't all start until we get to heaven. But this says he died and reconciled us to God and made us the righteousness of God, made us right, right now in right standing with God. Not until we get to heaven. It's like a coin. If you're going to accept the heads is real, well, that means that the backside of tails is real. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. Listen to it again. Jesus died for your sins. So you could become the what? The righteousness of God. So that's telling us, once again, if you are born again, you are the righteousness of God. I Listen to me now. Let me finish. I don't care what you're living like or how sorry you are in your flesh. You are still the righteousness of God. Your spirit is the righteousness of God. That's why you got to know the difference between the three. Look at Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24 says, and that you put on the what? New man after God, which is what? Created in what? In what? Righteousness and what? True holiness. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, here's a point I want to get across to you. That is, when I start talking about that you're righteous, that God loves you, He's not dealing with you according to your sin. Are you listening to me out here? People will say, well, you're making light of sin. You're saying it doesn't matter if you sin. We just talked about that. But what I'm saying is, God didn't just one day decide, all right, I'm going to quit imputing people's sins against them. He, listen, he didn't just change his mind and decide, well, I'm not going to judge sin anymore. That's not what God did. Tell your neighbor, that's not what God did. God did judge sin. Because why? Sin has to be judged. 
We even seen in Romans 6.23 where it says what? The wages of? The wages of? Sin is what? Death, but the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But the wages of sin is still death. God didn't overlook sin, folks. God didn't just decide that I'm not going to deal with sin anymore and I'm just going to start being graceful and merciful. No, God is just and holy. So that means sin has to be judged. But the good news is sin has been just in the body of Jesus. God didn't just turn away and not look, folks. Listen to me closely. Every sin that you and I have ever committed entered into the physical body of Jesus. You hear what I just said? Every sin that you and I have ever committed entered into the physical body of Jesus. Read it again so you can get this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Put it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he has made him to be sin for us. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us. And he didn't just take a tiny bit of sin or just a little token of sin. Every bit of sin of the entire human race from all time in the past, all time in the present, all time in the future was placed upon Jesus. That's why it says in Isaiah 52, 14, turn there. Isaiah 52, 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. The contemporary English version reads it this way. Many were horrified at what happened to him, but everyone who saw him was even more horrified because why? He suffered until he no longer looked human. He no longer looked human. The Living Bible reads, Yet many shall be amazed when they see him. Yes, even afar off foreign nations and their kings, they shall stand dumbfounded, speechless in his presence, for they shall see and understand that they had not been told before. They shall see my servant beaten and bloody, so disfigured. One could scarcely know that it was a person standing there. So he shall cleanse many nations. Do you realize no about a beat, no amount of beatings for the Romans from the Romans could have produced that? What happened is the sin and sickness and the disease of the entire human race entered into his body. If you've ever been to the hospital and you've seen the worst case sickness you've ever seen, is you've seen somebody's nose or eyeball suckers, whatever was falling out, Jesus was worse than that. Look you know what I just said. It says he didn't even look human. It says you couldn't even recognize that he was even a human being. It was just like a hunk of flesh on that cross. So sometimes we need to get that little cute movie out of our head. That was not a description of what was on that cross. If they put a description was on that cross, you couldn't take it. There was nothing but a blob up there. He didn't even look human. The Romans didn't do that, folks. The Romans didn't do that. Guess who did that? No. 
God did it. God put your sin and my sin and the result of it, all of the guilt, all of the condemnation, he put it all on Jesus. All. Think about this. Your worst night of sin, the worst thing you've ever done in your whole life, think about how it made you feel. Think about the guilt. Think about the shame. Think about the condemnation. Jesus felt the exact same thing. He didn't just take a portion of sin. He became sin for us and took your shame and took my shame. Took our guilt and all the pain and the hurt that went along with it. All of it. Somebody say all of it. All of that, folks. Think about that. All of that entered into him. That's why he was pleading with God. Let this cup pass from me. And see, the physical suffering was major, but it was much more than that. He took our sin, folks. He took our punishment. Are y'all listening to me out here? So listen, God didn't overlook sin. God did judge sin. It's like if I was going to pay for something, if I was getting ready to go pay for something, and Jesus walks up and smacks down a million dollars and says, I got this. Now, I only owed $100, but he said, here's a million. That's more than enough. Come on, say amen, somebody. When Jesus paid one drop of his blood, it was worth more than all the sins and sins of the entire human race. He suffered, folks. Tell your neighbor, he suffered. And see, what's amazing, listen, if I loved you enough, to do something for you. I probably wouldn't do it if you didn't realize what I've done for you and never even appreciated it. But none of us have fully appreciated what Jesus did. Oh, I'm preaching good in here. Not one of us has a full revelation, but yet Jesus suffered us in ways we won't even know until we get to heaven. Are you listening to me out here? Tell you, he paid for our sins. Come on, say he paid for our sins. Go to John chapter 12, verse 27. And sometimes we take lightly the price he paid for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, Passion of Christ was a good movie. But it don't even come close. And some of y'all couldn't even stand to see that. Some of you squinching and crying. When you seen him, that whip going across his back. That was just the physical part. What you didn't see was the ravage of sin upon his body. The ravage of disease that entered in his body. The sickness of all mankind entered in his body. Was twisted and deformed him. That's what you didn't see. What does it say in John 27, 12, 27? It says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Now, this is right before his death. He said, now is my what? So troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it 
and will glorify it again. And it says, verse 29, and, but the, the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said it was, it was, that it was thundered. Another said, an angel spake to him. Now, this tells me everybody heard an audible voice. They heard God talking out of heaven, but some people wrote it off as being thunder. What this says is, if you don't want to believe, if your heart is hardened, if you live in unbelief, you'll find a way to deny anything. Come on, you with me out here? See, faith has to come from the word of God. Listen, an audible voice out of heaven didn't produce faith in these people whose heart was already hardened towards God. See, you have to have a heart for God or you can rationalize anything. Verse 30, and Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but who? But for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of, of this world be cast out. And this verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw what? All men unto me. Now, once you look at this closely, tell your neighbor, look at this closely. The word in, in your Bible, in your written Bible, I know it's probably not going to be in your phone, iPhone Bible or your iPad Bible, but in your written Bible, you see in verse 32 that the word men is italicized. It's italicized. What that means that in the King James translation is the King James translators, they added it for grammatical purposes or grammatical correctness. And that's why they what? They italicized it to tell you it wasn't there. That's why it's in italics. It's telling you it wasn't there. That means that that word men wasn't in the original transcripts. Are you with me? Are you with me? They added it for what? Clarity. What happened? They just assumed, listen to this now, they just assumed that he was talking about drawing all men unto him. And we assume it too. When we read that, we be lifted up, which all men unto him. Ain't that what we assume? And that is not true. And I guarantee you that some of the biggest churches in our nation are not lifting up Jesus. Come on, there's churches that have gimmicks. They have shows. They have all kinds of things, but them churches are full. And they're not lifting up Jesus. Come on, say amen, somebody. Listen, some of the best pastors don't have the biggest churches, folks. So don't be fooled by numbers. And see, this is not talking about if you're just preaching Jesus properly, everyone will come. The word men is what? Italicized. And if you look at the context, the verse before it, it says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now should the prince of this world be what? Cast out. Then verse 32 says, now if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Verse 33, and this is the, and this he said, signifying what death he should die. Lifting up wasn't talking about preaching Jesus properly. He was talking about being crucified. Are you with me out there? He was put on that cross and what? And lifted up. That's what he is referring to. So the, in the verse in front of it, it's talking about judgment. 
And the first after is talking about judgment when he was crucified. So what is he saying? He's saying if I be lifted up, talking about being crucified and lifted up from the earth on that cross, I will draw all this judgment unto me. Did you get that? Did you get that? Jesus was a lightning rod that every bit of God's wrath and judgment against you entered into Jesus. God didn't just say, I'm going to change and not deal with sin anymore. Sin's not a problem. I'm changing my nature. I'm going to quit, I'm, I'm going to quit being holy. No, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God dealt with sin. Sin had to be judged. And sin was judged. Are you with me out here? See, when people sit there and say, well, you're making light of sin, I would say you're making light of Jesus. You're making light of the price he paid. You don't think Jesus paid for it all. You just think he paid a portion of it. When Jesus said in Matthew 27, 46, when he said, it says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out loud saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's to say, my God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. Do you know that was a quotation from Psalms 22, 1? Psalms 22, 1. Look at it. Psalms 22, 1. Where he says, my God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. But then in verse 3, he explains it. For thou art holy. Thou what? Thou art what? Holy. Do you know why Jesus, why God forsook Jesus? Because Jesus became unholy he became what unholy not because of his sin but because he took my sin and he took your sin oh come on say amen somebody he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be what made the righteousness of God and him. Jesus became sin, not in token, but in reality. He was corrupted. Not because of his own sin. He was holy and pure, but he took all this impurity upon himself. God punished his sin and forsook him and turned his back from his son. For you. You want to take that lightly? That's what he says in Isaiah 53.10. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Put him to grief when thou shalt make a sown offering for what? Sin. He shall see a seed. He shall, shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord, what? Shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be, what? Satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He paid for our sins, folks. And for you to continue to pay for your sins is doing discredit to Jesus, and is doing discredit from God the Father. Did you hear what I just said? For you to pay for your sins is a discredit for Jesus and a discredit for God the Father. Why? Because you're saying you don't believe he paid enough. You believe, I got to pay something. It's either all or nothing, folks. Either Jesus paid for it all or he didn't. 
Did he pay for it all? Did he pay for every sin you committed? Did he pay for every sin you're going to commit? Did he pay for it all? That's not a combination of the two, folks. You can't mix your goodness in there with it. And see, if you can understand what I'm saying, this will explain a whole lot of things in the word of God, folks. And yes, there are many scriptures that say if you don't do this, God is going to judge you and punish you and you're going to be cursed instead of blessed. And, and you know, you, you see, and, it, and, that, and you know, a vast majority of them are in the Old Testament. And there's some in the New Testament, the scriptures that say the same thing. But as a rule, this is the way it goes. That in the New Covenant, Jesus paid for our sins. And it's a brand new day. Y'all better get this. It's a brand new day. God is dealing with us differently. Now that doesn't mean that the standards have changed. Come on. Homosexuality is still wrong. But we don't kill them. We don't kill them today because what? There's a cure. His name is what? Jesus. Adultery is still wrong. And there's a lot of people in this room that have committed adultery, but you know what? You have been cleansed from things that you could not be cleansed from from the old covenant. We're not mad at you. And guess what? God's not mad at you. He loves you, and there's a cure but does that give you the freedom to just divorce and go marry another person just because you don't like the way they cook? That doesn't give you that freedom. That's what the historian Josephus did, the first century writer. He divorced his wife because he didn't like the way she seasoned his food. And that was his justification for divorce. And it's about like that today. That's still adultery. Listen, God loves you. But I'm telling you, it's not right. You know, it's not the right thing to do. Tell your neighbor, it's not the right thing to do. And we still need to go back and live holy. We still need to go back and live what? Holy. But you're not going to fulfill it perfectly. None of you are. And guess what? And don't base your relationship. The key is don't base your relationship with God on your flesh. Don't base your relationship with God on your performance. God still loves you. Base it, base it on what Jesus did for you. But let's get a clarity. But that doesn't mean performance isn't important. I live a holy life. Satan would love to destroy me. He would stop me if he would, if he could. But there are scriptures that make it clear, Ecclesiastes 10.20, where it says, Curse not the king, no, thought in, no, no not in thy thought, or curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, or said a bird of the air shall carry the voice. And that which has wings shall tell the matter. A bird will tell on you. <laughs> then in number 32, 23, said, But if thou wilt not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And he says, Your sin will find you out. <laughs> People think they hide this sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Or that little bird will tell everybody your business. Come on, say amen, somebody. And see, I would be stupid to go live in sin and take the influence that God has given me and the awesome things that God is doing in my life and go live in sin because I could. Come on. That's crazy. Tell your neighbor, that's crazy. And I wouldn't do that. But the thing is, listen to this, but the thing is, God would still love me. Oh, Lord. 
We've known people that were on more television than any person, but yet they wound up in falling into sexual sin and lost the whole thing. We've known people who are caught up in serious financial issues with real estate and lost everything, and they both went to prison. But both of them are still around today. And they're both back on television. Now, they don't minister, they don't minister to a fraction of what they used to minister to, and their income dropped dramatically. But you know what the Bible says in 11, Romans 11, 29? It says, Romans eleven twenty nine. it says, for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God still loves that man, and God still uses that man. He still preaches. People still get saved. People are still getting healed. People are still getting delivered. But did he suffer for his sins? Yes. Because why? Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. Do I need to say it again slowly? Let's say it again slowly. Sin will take you further then you want to go, keep you longer, then you want to stay and make you pay more than you want to pay. Some of you know this from experience. So the key is don't do it. Tell your neighbor, don't do it. But also get this in your head and your heart. But if you do, God still loves you. Stupid. And you still got 1 John 1, 9. He put that in there. And you can still come back into the grace of God and base your relationship with God on what Jesus did for you instead of what you're doing for him. Anybody with me in here? This is good news. Why? Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. Lift your hands to the Lord. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. So that's why they tell you, when you make mistakes and you do something stupid, you never run from God. You run to God. Because his love never faded towards you. Let me say it again. That's why they tell you on this side, let me try this side, that when you make mistakes and you do something stupid, because as long as, you, long as you're in that flesh, you're going to do something stupid. <laughs> uh, uh, let me, they ain't want to be honest on this side. <laughs> they ain't going to be honest on this side. As long as you're in this flesh, you're going to do something stupid. If you don't think you'll do something, there's a, there's a line right here. You come out here, and I, like I said, I can cast that lying devil out you right now. As long as you're in this flesh, you're going to do something stupid. But you got to keep in your heart and mind that God doesn't deal with me based on my flesh. Deals with me based on my spirit. Therefore, his love will never fade from me. So I can always run back to God. That's why I don't never have to run from church. 
That's what people do. They run from church. Because of the guilt. Because of the shame. Because of the condemnation. They don't want people to see them because they've they seen them out there. They made them see them out there, you know, doing something real stupid. They said, oh, Lord, there go them church folk. Oh, they, they, see me in, they see me sitting on the front row last week. Oh, Lord, I ain't coming to church next Sunday. <laughs> now, realizing you're not coming to church for people anyway. You're coming to church because you know God still loves you. And you're coming to church because you know God has a word for you try to get you out your situation. To try to get you out your circumstance. To try to turn you around so he can put you on the right track. He, he originally designed for you from the foundation of the world. Come on, say he loves me. Come on, say he loves me. Come on, say he loves me. You know how many people We'll sit up here during communion time and not take communion. They will not take communion. Because they feel if they're going to take communion, they're going to die. <laughs> so you look at them, you know, I'll be sitting there watching them. I see the, the train going by and you see them there. <laughs> They're past the tray. That means you don't understand the price he pays for you. You're taking communion to remind yourself how much he loves you. Remind yourself he died. He bled. My people will sit there and not take communion in fear that if I partake of this communion and it says if you take it unworthily you shall die because they don't understand because they don't understand he said put me in remembrance of the price I paid for you that I paid for your sins. Put your hands and give God. 